0: Hey, everybody. It is episode 107 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. I am with special guest James Dodds is in the house, coach and athlete here at Rogue Running in Austin with me. He's been on two other episodes, episode eight, where we talked about Austin Marathon strategy, and episode 37, which was basically Steve James and I riffing about running true or false we got to some existential places, I know, on that podcast, but that was a lot of fun. James is back with me just to talk about a topic that we're going to cover today, which is, I think, going to be interesting for everybody as we enter 2019. We want to talk about staying healthy as a runner in 2019, and we've got some points to bring you there about things to think about for your routine. Call them resolutions, call them whatever you want, but some tips that we would have for staying healthy as a runner in 2019. We'll get into that in a second welcome James. Hey thanks super excited to be back. (laughs) It's good to have you. You guys we call at least I call James the reverend runner so to speak. He's he likes to preach at times but he's not preachy and is always good for a chat on philosophy and sports and all things running too. So I'm excited to have you on. As we go into our intro, before we get to our main topic, which I said is staying healthy as a runner in 2019, I wanted to ask you a couple questions. It's the new year. It was a slow running week, so I don't have a lot of current events to cover, but I've got two things I wanted to tee up with you, James. First, as a fan, and I know you're not a running nerd like I am, where you don't dig into all the little things, but I know you're a fan of sport and you have a running fandom that is there it's just not quite the insane level that is mine but i wanted to ask you who are some of the inspiring runners for you as a fan
1: um yeah you're right i'm not the running nerd in the sense that i have not done my homework and i don't stay in tune with who's on top um my heroes are still like paul terranova and and allison maxis (laughs) those are my local heroes (laughs) two very good ones yeah um so they'll always be like um the epitome of what a runner is for me, but um, there, there are two that, and I didn't even mean for this to have a theme, but we can, we can give it a theme uh, Two athletes that when I was first coaching, reading a ton um, and diving into the sport um, that I feel like the running world lost to for completely different reasons um, were Sammy Wanjiru and uh, Daniel Komen. Um, yeah. And Sammy, I, I think love he, this. Yeah. I think he passed away at age 25 um, and he's, Put together a string of like 205 marathons, um, but had a tragic death, like a, a domestic uh, issue where he's locked out of a house and I think trying to crawl up a balcony, but it fell off a balcony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something and crazy. He was lost to the running world, but um, I part of me believes that this this two hour project that Nike put together last year, he'd be top of the list. He would have been selected first um, in oh that man, group. It been
0: interesting to watch him and and Kipchoge go head to
1: head. Oh yeah. <laughs> and and we missed it. It's sad. We, we missed it. Yeah. So
0: what what about Wanju and I, I guess just for context for the audience, and I'll talk more about this in a second, but he won the Olympic marathon in two thousand eight in Beijing on a warm day, basically running off the front and just breaking everybody's will. People thought he would come back, but he never did. He changed the sport of marathoning as a race. And then won Chicago. And London as well as majors after that and then died
1: at an early age. But what did you connect with with him? Um, You know, I don't even know if I would say I like I, I tend to be a fan of these people that I I can't necessarily connect with. They have like this X factor where they just stand out. Um, and he was special. He was unique, and you just wanted to sit and watch. You wanted to. You know that I'm a big LeBron James fan, oh, and gosh. so uh, his. Here big, we go. Yeah. We already
0: have a LeBron reference. Yeah, we and can't we're only get past like it. three minutes in.
1: Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> he had that tagline for a long time. Witness. It was just like, hey, you're gonna witness greatness. Yeah. Um, And when. I was reading about Sammy and, you know, when he won the, it was the 2008 games, yep, right? Um, and 08. then I think he won Chicago a couple of times. Um, but you just knew this guy's about to be a standout. And I just wanted to, I wanted to be a witness. Yeah, um, He was special.
0: And as I mentioned, he really did change the sport of marathoning. Before him, you go into a, a, a race like the Olympics in 2008 without pacers on a hot day in Beijing, the expectation was that it would be a tactical affair, that if anybody did anything crazy, like go off the front, that the best strategy would be to let them go, they would come back to you, and that's really, as a as a, the marathon, it's in its history, a lot of that had played out. If anybody made drastic moves early, then oftentimes they would come back because the world hadn't figured out how to sustain these paces for 26.2 miles. And so when Sammy went off the front in Beijing, and started pressing the pace early on, everybody thought he was crazy. Now a lot of, of the East Africans that went with him that day. Ryan Hall, the American, let him go with the same idea that he would come back. And he never came back. He never his will was never broken. He ended up setting the Olympic marathon record that day in, in two oh five and change in what in a time that people thought wasn't possible on a tactical or a raced marathon without pacers. And it was just otherworldly. And then he went, and he in, and then he went in Chicago and London and won in ways that were aggressive, that were brash, that people had never seen somebody approach the marathon that way with that sort of recklessness. But then being able to back it up as well. And so he literally changed the sport. And then we lost him. But since then, races are run completely differently now in the marathon because of Sammy Wanjiru pretty yeah. awesome. I like it, it is very LeBron James-esque in a sense. Obviously, LeBron has a staying power that almost nobody can replicate in sport and that he's been at the top for a very, very long time, and Wanjiru might have been that, but we lost him too early, so he was more of a, a... We got a smaller picture of him than we did of LeBron, but it... And, and I would say Kipchoge is probably more like a LeBron in, in terms of his longevity, but Sammy... Maybe in terms of just the pure skill that he brought to bear.
1: Yeah, yeah you use the word otherworldly, and that's what I love. That's the part where I'm not saying like w- we should make uh, these kind of guys the only heroes that we have out there, um, because I spend my whole my whole life, you know, studying something, breaking it down, making it something you can teach or coach and then pass on principles. Um, so I just like to make room for these people that are quote otherworldly or, um, they have X factor is what I like to say. Um, because you just want to watch them. You you may not even be able to like write down on a piece of paper. Uh, this is what Sammy did and now we should operate this way, but rather he was special. And, um, I wish we could have watched him run more and more marathons. Me too. And I would say, if you don't know that name, go, go YouTube
0: some Sammy Wanjiru, because there's a. not only is the Olympic Marathon in Beijing an impressive thing to watch the clips from, but also his Chicago race, where he just went back and forth with, I believe it was Sige Kabidi, and they were just throwing haymakers back and forth. At one point, it looked like Wanjiru was broken, but he came back again and ended up getting the win. And so watching them just both go to the absolute bottom of the well on that day in chicago
1: in 2010 is amazing so go youtube that you mentioned two names what was the second the second was daniel komen and um i don't know if a lot of people are going to know that name but again when i first jumped into coaching this is like you know eight nine years ago now maybe back when i was um uh coaching out in cedar park reading every single piece of literature i could get my fingers on um I think I was always a little bit afraid I wouldn't know enough for the in crowd of runners. (laughs) Um, I knew I had studied up and was ready to be a good coach, but, um, I still feared what I didn't know. So I thought I had to get, you know, deep into all these athletes stories. Uh, but Dan, I I had read, um, uh, the perfect mile, uh, about Bannister breaking the four minute mile. And about the same time I'm reading articles that were coming out about Daniel Coleman, who broke back to back four minute miles. He ran two miles in under eight minutes. Um, and it just still blew my holds mind. the world
0: record seven fifty eight, for, yeah.
1: for the two mile world record. It's just unreal. And you know what was really interesting about him is that uh, we didn't lose him to the sport uh, because of a tragic death, but he walked away. I mean, he j- he just he ran sub eight minutes for two miles, and then he went and just wanted to live his life. He walked <laughs> away from the sport. So I just found him to be fascinating and intriguing, and so. Maybe because I'm such a practical guy with most of what I do. I I live by so many routines um, or principles and values that I I just can't help but, um, you know, fantasize or like, (laughs) that's a weird word. But I can't help but, yeah, be a fan of these X-Factor guys that do something special that's just like, hey, maybe you can't explain it. They're just special.
0: Definitely. That's another good one. You know, he ran... The two mile world record in July of '97, 758. And then he ran the third fastest 5K ever a month later, 1239. And then, as you said, basically in '98, just walked away. <laughs> <laughs> it's nuts. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you, you set a world record, you go away. Still hasn't been broken that two mile world record. So I love I love that you hang on to those two because they're even though as I said you aren't a super running nerd those are pretty obscure names at least in the in the spectrum of running fandom in that they aren't necessarily household names so I'm glad that we got to introduce those two to our audience today. So thank you for that. Second thing I wanted to ask you as a part of our intro because I know you're always good for some running philosophy uh, and you're always You're a guy who's always trying to work on himself and improve yourself. And that leads you to a lot of philosophical at times places. So what's the latest in the James Dodds philosophy that you've been mulling on recently?
1: So I don't know how deep or philosophical this is, but it's just what I've been chewing on and where I'm going with my own running. Um, But I just mentioned like, I tend to live by principles or routines. That's probably the better word to like, You know camp out on Um and and we sort of breed that culture because we're we're going for prs and prs are usually a marker of improvement we 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 know that well we shave three minutes off of our marathon and so we're three minutes better so we can feel a sense of improvement in life um and that's what's defined um my running for a long time but i i walked away from it because interestingly enough like i think routines while i gravitate towards them and i think they're the very thing that save me or make me a better person routines can easily become ruts um i can get into my own head um, and just feel like everything has to be, um, I have to run a certain mileage at a certain time uh, every single day or somehow I'm a failure. Um, but the truth is I, I love running and um, I took about a year and a half off, not not the full year and a half, but I did go try cycling and I tried CrossFit um, and nothing, nothing like hit me quite like running does. And so this past year was a bit of a homecoming. I feel like it was a prodigal son type like return in that I know why I'm here now. I know why I run. I know how it feeds my soul, not just my head and my sense of improvement. Um, And so I just want to jump into the lifestyle. And while that's a big tip in exercise where people say, you know, you have to make a lifestyle of your exercise, just like brushing your teeth. You need to get up and run. I mean something more. I mean, like um, Jacob Garcia posted on uh, Facebook not too long ago, hey, running 16 to 18 miles out on McKinney trails. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I I just want to be at that spot where I can just say yes to a friend. I can do long runs with friends that uh, Krista Ward's a good friend of mine. We get into really meaty conversations when we're out on a run. But for about a year or two, I couldn't run with her because she's just faster than me. And so it it wasn't even an option uh, to do a long run with a friend that I could spend 90 minutes or two hours talking to. Um, It just wasn't even there because I didn't have my body in the spot that I needed it to be. And so I spent this last year building volume And getting to where if anybody says they want to run within a certain pace range, it's not like I -hmm. I got all the way back on the pony. Um, But from a volume perspective, if someone says I want to run 20 miles or 10 miles this weekend, I can say yes, and it really doesn't matter um, which one of those it is. I'll just jump into a 20-miler. I'm I'm trying to sign up for uh, Mallory's uh, races with Spectrum, um, and the dates aren't always perfect as far as like, how they line up with 3M in Austin. Um, but I, I kind of want to get outside of the box this year and just, um, maybe run a, a a trail marathon one weekend and then 3M the following. And again, that's not great advice for staying healthy. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm not saying everyone go do this, but I'm in a spot where I'm running the miles slow and I'm just really into the lifestyle of it. I want to be that guy that's like down for the adventure of a run. Um, and PRs will come out of that, and, and, and forms of success will come out of that, because I'm putting in all that long, slow mileage.
0: Well, right, and it's all about managing those efforts. It's not like you have to go crush that trail marathon and go crush 3M if you're just having a good time and enjoying it. I I think that's, good, that's a good place to be. You know, Sally Burgesson this week, or I guess yesterday on New Year's Day, tweeted, something that I think is very similar. So it's interesting that you're bringing this up. She's, she's, by the way, the CEO of Wazelle. You can follow her on Twitter. She's a good follow, at Wazelle underscore Sally. She said, goals are great, but it's okay to have a lifestyle instead of a goal. So kind of the same, same idea that you're talking about, which is interesting that you just brought that up. Because I do think that there are, there's a couple things I want to unpack there. One is that there are seasons of life for goals and seasons for lifestyle where you know there are times when you really need to drill in dial in go for something specific and that's that's okay and that fulfills your purpose in that given season but there are also times when you just need to let go and relax and not have the pressure of that kind of goal because you need those mental breaks you also need those physical breaks from being on the edge so that's sort of one point but the second point too is that sometimes i find in myself that it isn't until I can let go of a goal. And by let go, I mean it isn't until I can sort of have it out there but but be satisfied not achieving it for a period of time. It's not until I let go of it that I can actually get to a place both mentally and phys- mentally and physically that will allow me to then actually get access to that goal either in that season or in another season. Because sometimes we get so dialed in so aggressive so specific in our tunnel vision towards one thing that it actually limits and hinders our ability to get that one thing right and so sometimes for those reasons i think you just have to sort of let it go let the goal go live the lifestyle focus on the process is another way of saying it and then and then it'll come back to you and so that's good advice i like the mullings there
1: yeah, I, I think that's well said, too, because a, a big lesson I've learned uh, in 2018, actually, is that um, at least what I you know wrote down in my own journal and my own perspective is that um, life's not linear. It, it is circular and it's dynamic. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not throwing that out there as like advice for every runner to follow. But that is the season that I'm in. Um, and I and I think I'll probably spend the first six months of the year. Just enjoying the lifestyle of being a runner. Um, And for me, this time, like you talked about it from being able to let go of a goal, I had a three- or four-year window. Um, Back when I was working here at Rogue, I'd come in and talk talk your head off, you know, telling you about all my runs. I was going after a fast 10K time, going for marathon PRs. Um, So I had that phase. And then I want to add that phase in again, um, but I think I want one more layer like this next six months where it's just pure lifestyle. I'm going to have a ton of miles. I want to run 2,000 miles this year. I I want to, in some ways, front load that uh, because the second half of the year, I think I'd like to add PR goals back. But for now, just enjoy it and jump in and, and be there with friends.
0: I like it. It's a good place to be going into 2019, and I think is also a good segue for our conversation about staying healthy in 2019 because we will talk a little bit about mindset in in staying healthy in 2019 and we'll get so kind of I think come back to this topic a little bit as we talk through this so here's how this is going to go and just so you guys know if you don't remember James is a coach here at Rogue he has been a coach with us for a long time has also been an employee of ours and so he's been a Rogue through and through so I'm about to lay out eight things on my list for ways to stay healthy as a runner in 2019. James has not heard these, but he's both an expert as a coach, but also has his own opinions as an athlete. And so he's just going to weigh in with me and we're going to go back and forth and beat these ideas around and maybe come up with some new ones to add to the list as we go. But I was mulling on this topic recently as I was preparing macros for this next season for my for the groups that I coach here. And Wanting to think about as a part of those macros how to make sure that we got to the finish of them, and so that along with just you know some New year's kind of thoughts in my own head about being an athlete and what I want to accomplish in 2019, got me to this list. and so we're gonna we're gonna go through it. eight things, and James, you can react, and then we'll add to it at the end and see where we end up. So this should be fun. One point though, before I go into the eight things. The reason that this is important, if it wasn't obvious, is that yes, I want you to be healthy as an athlete in 2019, but not just because of 2019, but because of every year and therefore every day, week, month of work that you can put in consistently in this game of running, the better you'll get the next year and the next year. So this isn't just about 2019, this is also about 2020 and 21 and 22 and the years ahead, because if you're healthy and consistent in this year, will lay a foundation that you'll literally be able to draw on for years to come. And so that's why this matters. This doesn't just matter for the goals that you may have for this year. It also matters for whatever goals you might have long-term in the sport. And so reminding you, reminding you now before we go into this, that that is the main goal here is that consistency over time that will allow you to be your best running self. So here we go. The eight things, James. The first one I'm gonna start with is actually sort of resolution oriented. I'm not a resolution guy. I'm not necessarily against them. You know, if you have if you have resolutions, fine. I'm not one that makes them myself. I sort of believe that hey, if if at any point I feel like I need to change something, I just need to do it whenever that happens and not necessarily have a special time of the year to think about it. So I'm not really a resolution guy, but I am somebody who respects resolutions, and in particular, I respect those that have metrics around their resolutions, because those things are more tangible, measurable, versus, hey, I'm gonna start consistent strength routine in 2019. Well, what does that look like? How are you gonna know if you succeeded in that, and what's gonna keep you going past the first three weeks of this year, right? And so if we're gonna talk about resolutions, I wanna propose a resolution, that will also keep you healthy as a runner in 2019, and that relates to sleep. As we've talked about many times on this podcast, sleep is your number one recovery tool. None of us are probably getting as much sleep as we need, and yes, you know, the doctors will say we need seven to eight hours or whatever. I know for many of us with kids' jobs and running and everything else going on, that's unrealistic. But I do think that there is a realistic thing, which is that you can at least commit in 2019 to taking a nap a week one nap a week fit it in wherever you can I don't care if it's at 5 p.m. after you get home from work and it's 30 minutes or if it's a Saturday afternoon and you get in an hour or two hours or heck sometimes I'll sleep for two and a half hours if I'm lucky on a Saturday afternoon. but a nap a week in 2019 to just boost your sleep deposits Now, the science would tell us that napping, in addition to your normal sleep cycles, isn't necessarily a replacement, meaning it's not one for one. If you normally get six hours of sleep and you take a two-hour nap, that's not the same as getting an eight-hour block, but it is better than just the six. So, I I would like to propose to my audience that if recovery, if injury prevention is an issue for you, commit to a nap a week in 2019.
1: I like that. That's very controllable. I think it's interesting you went to the nap. Okay. Um, I I'm guessing it's cause you wanted to make it very controllable, controllable, manageable and measurable. Yeah. Um, a couple things come to mind. One is like, as far as other resolutions, uh, within, you know, sleep itself is, um, I would say, know your number, you know, everybody's kind of unique in that seven to nine hour window. Some people can get away with six. Um, they're rare, but some people really do function really well on six. I would say know what your number is. Like I'm a, just over eight guy prefer nine um and so that's harder to do seven days a week Um, how
0: often are you getting eight or nine hours of sleep
1: more often than most people i'm a sleeper That's impressive yeah yeah um i take sleep very serious so i'm I'm good in that arena but there are times like tonight i coach and tomorrow i want to wake up and run with team rogue so tonight won't be a, a night where i get my my full eight hours but that's okay um because where I'm going with it is whatever your number is, if you know you're really healthy at seven, seven and a half, eight, whatever it may be, um, I would push even further and say try to do it for four nights a week. Um, And the reason being all of my athletes will know this when they, when they first get into a program, if they're somewhat newer, um, I'm always going to push them to run four days a week because we live in that seven day cycle and we're teaching the body that we're doing something more often than we're not. There's no like, right down the middle or half and half if you do something four days a week then you do it more often than you don't because we live in a seven-day world um and so i would say go for the go for your number four nights a week if you can um but i know people have lives kids jobs you know all that um the other thing oh go ahead i think you want to say something. i was just gonna
0: ask you if you were
1: a napper so i'm i'm not a napper but you know what um i want to turn this to the central nervous system in a second but i'm a dozer sometimes so like I believe sometimes in like checking myself, like especially Saturdays after a long run, go to coffee and tacos. I'm buzzing around on caffeine and a bunch of adrenaline, Um, probably woke up that morning at four thirty or five o'clock. So, you know, I'm just wired up. And um, sometimes I try to check myself before I go to the next activity, whatever it may be, just to sit in the chair and calm down. And every now and then I'll doze off, which gives me an idea of just how tired and taxed I am. Because if I don't sit in the chair just for a few minutes and let the central central nervous system calm down, I won't have a very, you know, Good understanding of actually how I'm feeling or if I'm a little overtaxed. Um, And then, you know, living in Austin, Texas, it's likely that I'm going to be drinking alcohol later that night. So you can just get yourself in a bad way um, and not be fully recovered for a couple of days because you're just go, go, go in Austin, Texas.
0: You make a good point there. And that's something for me. I'm not a huge napper, but I do like my nap, especially if I can get one on the weekend on either Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Sometimes that's hard with the kids, but If I can get that extra nap in, it does help me feel better going into the next week. But sometimes I might be sitting there and there might be a game on or something. And I'm thinking, you know, I probably can't sleep. I'm awake, fired up by Texas beating somebody in football. But if I let myself just get away from that, lay down in bed, put my phone away, Without any expectation necessarily that I can sleep, but just commit to laying down for 15, 20 minutes and see what happens. Oftentimes I'll end up asleep and then I'll wake up whenever, 30, 40 minutes, 50 minutes later, and it will be like, wow, now I feel really good. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I do think it's not necessarily that you have to sleep. Just find that space where you can just be present and not looking at something or stimulated by something because that can also help too.
1: Yeah. And before we move past sleep, too, I wanted to flip it a little. So that's like us setting a goal around, I want to sleep this much in the name of recovery. But um, sleep can also be an indicator, too. So um, if you're someone who's trying to be intentional about sleep... um, Sometimes when we're overtraining, our heart rate is our heart rate is still up. Um, you can check your heart rate in the morning after you sleep, um, but also just l- looking at it, looking at your sleep cycle as an indicator. Of like, am I laying down and I can't go to sleep? Um, it could be stress from work. Um, but I do see a lot of athletes where you know if they're they've got a big goal and they're hammering their body, their central nervous system is taxed and it is fired up, um, and they're not able to. Slow down and rest and recover, and so it can also be an indicator as much as it can be a goal to uh, to back achieve off. or yeah, yeah yeah
0: that's a good point. When my sleep health is good, that means I usually have the pieces together in the right way, not too much, but enough. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, to make you tired. <laughs> okay, so that was number one, sleep. Number two, I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here. Mini yeah. rant. Mini rant. And I think it's also interesting that this is coming at this time of year, because a lot of people in my world that are runners, admittedly, that are geeking out about running and that post often about running on social media, they're posting the Strava videos, you know, that show how many miles you run and how much elevation, how many, uh, how many feet of elevation you've gained. And, and it'll show you if you watch it, who you ran with the most, all that stuff. And so, and then occasionally people are just posting their total mileage for the year as, I don't know if that's a humble brag or what, makes them feel better about themselves. That's not something I care to do, but I'm not throwing stones at those who do. But I will say, and I have to say this carefully, sometimes I judge people based on those numbers. Maybe not in the way you'd think, but because look we're all on our own journey and however many miles you want to run in your world is your business. And I'm proud of you for getting out there and moving. But as a coach, when I sit there and see some of these numbers for certain athletes, I'm thinking, Oh man, like either that's not enough or that's too much. Sometimes more often that's not enough. And so I want to submit my second thing for staying healthy in 2019 is actually to run more. I think, and again, this is specific to those who have big goals in the half marathon or marathon. And what I believe as a coach who believes in mileage matters is that if you run more easy miles, oftentimes that actually allows you to operate in a better space, to be healthier as a runner because you're preparing your body, you're taxing it in the right way to take the load of the goals that you have. And if you're a big If you have a big marathon goal in mind, if you have a big half marathon goal in mind, I want to submit that you should be running at least 30 miles a week, year-round, at least. So that puts us at at least 1,500 miles a year, if you're looking at that yearly total. And so some people uh, I think are are serious about their goals, and again, I'm not naming names or throwing stones, to each their own. Mm -hmm. But as a coach, I look at these totals, and if somebody says, hey, I'm proud of my 1,200 miles, and I know this is a person who is serious about their marathon goals, then immediately I'm thinking, that's not enough. Not only because they're not going to get the aerobic benefit they need to get their goal, but also they're not doing the work to prepare the neuromuscular system for the load that it will take to get their goal when they do ramp up for it. So, if you have big goals in the marathon or half marathon, 1,500 miles a year at least. Now, ideally, like you said, Kara Goucher and her husband Adam Goucher have a th- have a thing called run the run the year, where you can sign up to try to run more than 2,019 miles in 2019. That's over f- or 40 miles a week or just under 40 miles a week. And certainly that's better than 30, but I think you have to have, you have to be running a minimum consistent mileage year round in order to stay healthy and running and then ultimately also get the goals that you want.
1: Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly, especially if you're, if your key race is half marathon or marathon. And then of course, if you're ne- like, you know, very competitive in 10 K, you still need that super high mileage or n- not even super high. You just need higher consistent mileage. mileage. Yeah. Yeah. Consistent mileage. Um, on that point, I mean, even frequency too, for me, I'm a big believer in six days a week. Um, sometimes I do seven. Um, but I agree so much. I don't have a lot to say. So I won't, uh, as far as like coaching perspective i want to just relate as a person one i'm think i think i might be that guy that you might want to judge not because my mileage is too low but because i'm that guy that needs that affirmation so (laughs) i am a i am a likes junkie uh so yeah i'm that kind of guy that's going to post my videos i'm not judging that part
0: (laughs) i'm not judging that part i get it it makes us feel good you're just more
1: self-assured chris (laughs) um no but i love i love to do that i love the affirmation um and you know you've already mentioned i'm existential i'm philosophic uh, or philosophical, um yeah, those things are true, and so i 've analyzed it and thought i shouldn 't need this, but you know what I do it works, so I do it um, but yeah that that higher mileage is um, but but slower pace is something that 's so hard for I think newer athletes to trust, um, and you may be even referencing some athletes that have been around a while so um but I think it 's because um you know, I think knowing the science actually helps a little there. And I'm not a scientist. I didn't study this. But just having read, you know, Steve Magnus' book, um, uh, Jack Daniel's book, like I've, I've jumped in at the times that I needed to to understand the science. The science. Um, and just knowing about how capillary beds develop, which helps you get extra blood to muscles. Um, and then um, how mitochondria, they not only grow um, more in abundance within the cell, but they also grow larger. Those are the things that the athlete can't see with their own eye. So they, 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 they don't necessarily understand, how am I getting faster, though? I mean, you know, if I run the same slow pace all the time, I've just practiced getting slow. And don't I need to practice how I'm going to run on race day? And there's some degree of truth to that. That's why we do quality workouts. We take care of that speed part. Um, but when athletes don't know what's happening inside their body on the cellular level, you know, it makes it a little bit harder to trust. So either go read the science or just listen to your coach. and run consistent you know long mileage and slow it down
0: yes and that is a good segue to my third thing but before we go to my third thing i want to make this point some people say i've had athletes come to me and say i I can't do the mileage you're suggesting i'll get hurt they say they'll say i can't handle that much and so they're on this race or this pursuit to try to run as little as they can to still get the goals that they want. And what ends up ultimately happening most of the time is that they get hurt doing it. Because, and I've talked about this before, the most often cause of injury that I see is not from, you know, doing too much. It's from doing too much together without easy recovery, active recovery in between. So it's going from quality speed workout to long run Without an easy quality, uh, without an easy recovery run in between, it's going from long run to quality or quality to quality without an easy active rest in between. It is only in our culture, American culture, that we believe that doing nothing is rest. For your body, movement is rest if you do the right movement. I say it often: movement equals blood flow equals healing. You have to get out there and do the work to move the body so that it can repair itself to get blood to all those areas that need repair, and then also that then prepares the body to handle the loads of more stress in your training. So actually running more can actually make you more resilient to doing the work that you need to do to get to that goal. And again, to be clear, if you're running less than 1,500 miles a year, I'm okay with that. I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that if you have big goals in the marathon or half marathon and you're running less than 1,500 miles a week, miles a year, you're probably not running enough to both stay healthy and getting to those goals when you do ramp up and also to really getting those goals when you want them. So I'm just encouraging you as a coach to look at that and try to build that weekly mileage consistency. This brings me to my third point, which you already brought up, and this is a, an acronym I occasionally use when I'm really trying to stress this with my team stfd slow the fuck down is something i have to say occasionally in love to my runners because there is this ego that says or and also this what seems like normal train of thought it says if i, I have to run fast to get fast and really it's it's actually the opposite you actually got to slow down most of the time in order to unlock your potential to go fast because at those slower efforts is what is where you're doing the, th- the work you need to do to build the physiological changes inside your body, like you talked about, James, to globally process more oxygen to the blood, to the muscles, so that you can ultimately move faster through space. All of that work happens at slow, easy conversational efforts, which also, by the way, allow you to stay healthy when you're doing them, those, mile, those extra miles. So STFD in 2019, that's point number three.
1: Yeah, again, we're in agreement and I touched on the, the <laughs> science piece. Um, but yeah, when you slow down, um, there's a lot happening on the cellular level. But also, um, you, you, were, you started to touch on this, but like all the soft tissue or ligaments, um, all the small pieces have an opportunity. If you're slowing down and increasing your frequency, um, you're doing multiple slower short runs. Um, um, you know, like for me, it was six times a week this summer. I I started over at, uh, six times a week, three miles a day. And then I just started growing certain days. I got my, my, my quality day up a little bit longer, got my long run days up and reestablished a little bit of a medium long run. Um, I knew my body could handle those incremental increases because it was laid on a foundation of running slow and running often. And so all of that soft tissue was going to be able to handle the load. And then it's just like stacking little extra plates, like on a like on a bench press, you're just adding one little 2.5 pound weight at a time, rather than just going from an empty bar to, you know, two big 45 pound plates on each side.
0: Which is often the mistake that people made, and which people make, and that's what happens when somebody's not in a cycle. You know, maybe they haven't had a goal race. They sign up for a big marathon, which is 20 weeks away, or sometimes 12 to 16 weeks away. And then they go from zero to 60 without that consistency. And that's when you get hurt because you don't have that foundation of that constant stimulus and stress that not only prepares the aerobic system in the right way, but the neuromuscular system in the right way to handle that work when it comes. So do more miles, slow down. And if you have to start incrementally like you described, do it that way.
1: Well, and and on the part of slowing down, um, you know... um, you had already touched on getting that extra blood flow so that you can actually heal and recovery recover. So we're kind of mixing these two points, I guess, um, a little bit, you know, but, um, because I got out of order, uh, this is what happens when you make me respond. I right. told you I'm a verbal processor. It's so, okay. It's um, okay. but yeah, I had a coach that always say, uh, you need that new blood. I would not want to, um, lift or do a workout the day, uh, a day after I was really sore, but he always looked at it through the lens of recovery and just getting new blood in those legs because that blood has all the the nutrients. Um, So you're just flushing like you don't have to see every single – when you slow down, you don't have to see every run as a challenge. You can actually take that mindset of today is just three to four miles of like healing my legs from the work I did yesterday. So that means I have permission to go as slow as possible and not judge myself.
0: Yeah, and you should finish those runs feeling better than when you started. To me, that's a sign that you did it the right way. You know, because people always want pace guidelines. Well, how slow does that mean? And normally I'll tell you, I'll say, look, you should be running at least a minute per mile slower than your target marathon pace on your easy days and probably two minutes slower on your recovery days. But it's not really about that. It's really about the effort. And you should finish those recovery runs or those easy runs feeling better than when you started. And if you do, if you do, and you feel like you could do more, then that means you probably got the effort right. And if you don't, then you probably went too hard and you need to back off even more. Sometimes if I recommend running with slower friends on those days <laughs> because not only does it help pass the time because you've got somebody to talk to you, but it also forces you sometimes to, to run at paces that you wouldn't run if you were just by yourself.
1: Is that why my fast friends reach out to me on Wednesday mornings? I'm the slower friend they're reaching out to
0: maybe maybe. (laughs) the other other related point that I want to mention from Kate Barrett who I just had on as a guest talking about season 3 of our podcast training she was providing a tip to our podcast group in our first week first week's episode for that group and she said good advice which is something that I've followed for a long time with my Garmin is turn off the auto lap you know the Garmin comes out of the box with the auto lap turned on set it a mile. So it beeps every mile, which gets you in this habit of paying attention when it beeps and seeing how fast you ran that last mile. And so she was suggesting turn off that auto lap, which I haven't had my auto lap on personally forever because I don't, you know, I don't care on most days what pace I'm running. It's about the effort. And so that's a tip for those that can't, can't turn off that Hmm. desire to look at the watch. Just turn off the auto lap or ideally, some days don't wear your watch at all all right so that was number three number four i'll give you is more prehab related we talk about this a lot on our show of figuring out that routine that you need to stay healthy versus having to try to cover things up once you actually break yourself but i'm going to recommend that if you haven't already one, listen to our episode number 80 where we had Jay Dishery on. He wrote the book Running, Re- Running Rewired. Also wrote the book Anatomy of Runners. Both great books on how to stay healthy as a runner. He's a physical therapist by training. But I think his second book, Running Rewired, is the practical guide for both assessing your own weaknesses and the things you need to work on, as well as then correcting them through simple, easy routines and exercises that he provides basically paint by numbers in that book. So get running rewired. If you haven't read it, do the self assessment in there and figure out the two or three exercises. Start with two or three that he would recommend to help you start working on those weaknesses. Because if you start building your sense of strength as an athlete and not just a runner, you'll be healthier in 2019.
1: I know you like Jay. Yeah, I love Jay. Um, I wanted to be Jay for a long time. Um, I've, I've heard him speak a couple times, and I read uh, Anatomy for Runners, so I haven't read the um, more recent you one. You've got
0: to read the new one, Running Rewired. It's, yeah. It's, it's basically a follow-on, a practical kind of follow-on from Anatomy of Runners, and that one had a lot of the practical, too, but this kind of takes it to another level of just really paint-by-numbers. Here's how to figure out where your weaknesses are and what to do to fix them.
1: Yeah, I mean, what you said is the best advice and that's, you know, get personal and find out your own limiters um, so you can develop them. And then I would say generally speaking, if you just had to throw something um, universal out there is it's never going to hurt you as a runner and as an athlete to develop your hips and your glutes. Um, I've seen so many injuries um, or so many athletes say, yeah, you know, I've got, you know, X problem. Yeah. In my ankle and my calf and my foot, wherever it is. And they go see a PT and they come back and they're like, well, well, I had glute deficiencies. Um, I don't know how many times it's like 90% of diagnosis is that your (laughs) hips or your glutes aren't strong enough. And so if You're someone who's not going to take that extra time to do the full assessment. That's the best advice, but if you're not going to go that far, um, just add in a hip and glute routine um, that you do consistently because that's going to cover a lot of it. Um, And if you would be perfect or you would be your best self, then go even further, get Jay's book, um, and find out your own specifics. Yeah, I like the
0: good old lunges hip openers, the Jane Fondas, (laughs) you might call them, and and prisoner squats. I mean, if you just did those three things, you'd probably cover off on 80% of the issues. But I would recommend doing Jay's assessment, figuring out what you need specifically, and doing the exercises he recommends. And if you've done this before, I'd recommend doing it again and maybe doing it again annually because I do think this is something that changes and evolves as you get in ruts, as you talked about, James. Sometimes we get in ruts and we have things that can blindside us because we're not really realizing a weakness that's developing because we've emphasized other things. Paul Terranova was recently on in our trail part two episode where he talked about getting a stress fracture in his femur, a guy who's traditionally been very, very healthy as a runner who also happens to do a lot of strength stuff, but had developed a little bit of a blind spot for one particular area related to strength that ultimately cost him several months of, of being, Out of the game and then rehab to get back from it because he had just realized, not realized that that weak spot was kind of becoming a bigger issue. So I think this is another thing where you can kind of retest yourself at least once a year to see what might be the new thing that you need to work on. So that's number four. So we talked about sleep, napping, running more, slow the fuck down, getting Jay's book and doing his assessment. Number five, related to that one, is find a PT in Cairo that you can trust, that you can have on speed dial, that you can go to when an injury pops up immediately versus floundering around in that injury for three weeks and then having it get worse in the meantime. And then by the time you actually get to somebody, they're not the right person or they don't know what's going on and then you're still floundering for another three weeks. The more you can find somebody who can dial in and then learn your body, learn your weaknesses, and then help you quickly assess these things when they do pop up, it will save you a lot of pain and grief and uncertainty in those periods where you're like, I don't know what the hell's going on, but I just can't run without hurting. I'll add to that list a massage therapist as well who can help you figure out those things when they pop up. I had an athlete of mine who emailed me during the holiday and she said, hey, I haven't been able to run for a couple weeks. weeks. Outside, outside of my knee is bothering me. What do you think's going on? What should I do with running? I'm worried she's training for the Austin Marathon. And and I s- just simply said, hey, based on what she described and having heard these things, I'm not a doctor, but sometimes I can recommend at least things to try. I said, go get a good massage. It sounds to me like something just locked up above your knee that's causing your leg to be a little bit misaligned and is pulling on that knee in a funny way. She went and got a massage, boom, running no pain again. So literally she missed two weeks and I'm not throwing stones at her because she's learning, but she missed two weeks because she didn't have that person she could just go to. And then when she found them, (laughs) went to them, it it was fixed right away in a day's time. And sometimes that's the way it can happen if you have these people that you can tap into. How do you find them? Ask around, ask other runners who they see, go to the local running store, see who they partner with, who they work with. And and then as things pop up, just go try people until you find somebody who you trust, who seems to get you, seems to help you kind of work through things. And if it works, stay with that person and then go to them quickly when you have an issue and not wait a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. I like the piece about asking other runners too, because um, you definitely want to find someone that it understands why, re- why we run and how important it is to us. Cause, um, there are some folks out there in the medical field that are like, stop running. You're going to lose your knees and you'll, you know, not walk after the age of 60. Um, and they're rare, but still you want, you want somebody that gets runners and understands both why we do it and what we're doing to our bodies on a regular basis. Um, a couple of other thoughts popped into my mind. I know your general advice is line these folks up, but, um, you kind of touched on it, but, yeah, the longer you go with a little nag or a niggle and then you don't know who you're going to meet, I mean, um, who you're going to go see and you got to do your research, etc., the longer you're messing with that, um, the more you're eating into, you know, you've built up a lot of um, volume, you've probably built up fitness, um, and you're really thinking about some race day, but um, if you lose, if you let something go on too long, it's going to take a lot longer for that recovery process, um, to happen, you're going to start doing PT work and it's going to take, you know, if you've been dealing with it six weeks, it's going to take that long, if not longer to get out of it. Um, and I know that's kind of just generic, but, um, I think you get the, the idea of like, uh, in order to protect the fitness that you have, uh, line it up. Um, and the last thing I want to say, because it's, on the same topic, we used to, I used to have this as a talking point every season, but, um, we grew up under that statement of no pain, no gain. Um, but there is definitely a difference between training pain and injury pain. Um, so that idea of like being able to think like, Hey, is this something that's like general soreness on both sides of the body and both quads feel the same? Well, um, yeah, you might've just had a, a hard run the, the day prior, but the more specific and focal, if it becomes unilateral, it's on one side of the body that's starting to to sound a little more like a, uh, you know, an injury type pain or an overuse issue. Um, the no pain, no gain thing really applies. I think more of the lungs in the chest and maybe in the head when you're in a quality workout and you're trying to hit certain paces that you know are just outside your reach. That's when my lungs burn. My ribs might burn. I feel a little bit lightheaded. That's the kind of pain I'm supposed to fight through. Um, not a, specific pinpoint pain down in my Achilles just on the right side of my body. That's that's not the pain I run through. <laughs> right. You make a
0: good point there, and that is a learning process for athletes is to figure out the difference between that generic training soreness and what might be an injury. Having done this now myself for 18 years of running, I know when something is at a level one pain, if it's something that's going to move higher than that. Cause I've, I've, I've dialed in not always, but most of the time I know if I can feel something that's level one, that's unusual, that's new, that's different, that's distinct. I can tell you at that level, if it's going to become a bigger problem or if I'm going to be able to manage it and work through it myself. And so now I might get something that's a one or two and I'm going to go see somebody just say, look, I'm still running. I'm doing everything normally, but I know this is going to become a bigger deal. Help me make sure it doesn't. So I can get to that level now with my body having learned it over 18 years and not everybody's going to be there. But you are, if you have especially that practitioner to partner with, you'll be able to figure that out and you'll learn. You'll learn what's what's something to, to just manage yourself, get spend a little more time on the roller with perhaps, or just get a massage versus something that you need to actually see somebody about. But if you have that partner, and I think ideally a partner as a practitioner that you can be on at least a phone call basis with or a text message basis with who understands you, who you can, you know, maybe message after hours and be like, Hey, this happened to me on my run. This is what I felt. Should I come see you? Should I not? Because oftentimes then they can also help you triage and save you time and money. Maybe if it's like, Hey, just get a, you know, just do this and see how that affects you and then come see me if it doesn't work. So you can potentially develop that kind of relationship where you can get ahead of it and maybe not even have to see them if you have that sort of text or phone call relationship. And most of these practitioners, PTs, chiros that operate in this space are open to having those kinds of relationships. You have to obviously feel them out for that and, and, you know, be respectful of their personal time as well. But a lot of them are wanting to help. And so they want to have that kind of relationship if you're willing to develop it. All right. So that was Number five, we got three more, and I'll go a little more specific, and I've got two more general ones to wrap things up to kind of put a bow on this topic. My number six is to trail more, and you talked about it being able to jump in on an 18-mile run with Jagar at, at McKinney Trail, McKinney Ruffs, or whatever. I submit that for road runners, you should be jumping on a trail at least once a week an easy run that might not be mileage based that might be just time based to not only work the soft surfaces and not have the same pounding that you're going to get on the roads but also to work the other stabilizing muscles in your lower legs ankles and hips because you're moving on that more dynamic terrain to help you develop those supporting muscles the glutes and the, the little stabilizers that you don't necessarily see they're going to help you ultimately become a more healthy runner on the roads, not to mention the benefit of simply mixing things up. The trail is fun. It's dynamic. It's more, you're, you're, you're doing forest bathing or whatever they call it. I know that's kind of a thing that people are talking about now. You're like bathing yourself in nature. So there's, I think also a mental element of just being able to Zen out a little bit and let go of the the craziness of the roads and So jump on the trail once a week for an easy run and take the time that you would run your road run in, in whatever miles. if you're going to, if you're doing an eight mile run and that takes you an hour and 15 minutes, instead of doing eight miles on the road, go run an hour and 15 minutes for whatever distance that equates to on a trail and you'll get the same benefit aerobically and physically. Maybe the mileage will be less, but you'll get the same benefit from the work and you'll work those little muscles I talked about and you'll just enjoy it and have fun with it. So jump on a trail.
1: Yeah. Um, see, I almost got out of order again. I was going to bring that up on the slow the fuck down. Um, so let's just say that a way to wrap this one up is you can kill two birds with one stone. If you want to achieve Chris's recommendation of slowing the fuck down, um, as well as getting that extra strength benefit, um, and that mental benefit of being in nature. Um, I'm reading a ton on mental health and like, um, you know, psychologists will definitely encourage you to, uh, I think the guy I'm reading, um, Thomas Moore, um, always says it in such a way of, uh, get as close to beauty as you possibly can. And of course, what, you know, besides nature can deliver, you know, full on beauty. Um, so you're going to get all those benefits. You can actually kill two birds with one stone, go to the trail, change it up, um, build a little strength, that'll prevent injury. Um, and of course you'll slow down and I think it'll alleviate the the psyche for road runners. Um, it's hard for them to turn that Garmin. Um, you know, you were recommending, uh, based on Kate's, uh, advice that, you know, you take off that lap. Um, it, it's so hard for road runners because, um, they, they do tend to be a little more type A and they're in their head and they always want to know that they're either the same they were yesterday or a little bit better, but no one ever wants to think of themselves as going backwards. And again, those who struggle to slow it down, um, the trail naturally does that for you because you're going up, you're going down, you're going left and right and around trees. And so your brain naturally says, well, I don't, I don't know if a nine minute mile, a 10 minute mile or an 11 minute mile was uh, quote fast on that particular trail because trails are different. Like if you're running on town town Lake versus Walnut Creek, um, the terrain's so different. So, uh, you're naturally going to slow down. And, and I think it helps you care a little bit less because you don't have that same standard of comparison where you're like, this is my four mile route in my neighborhood. I usually reach this stop sign at, at 16 minutes or 16 and a half minutes." that just naturally goes away.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. And if you, and it's not sexy on Strava, (laughs) <laughs> because the paces will be slower. But, I, but if that's something you're worried about, just take some pictures out there instead and brag about the cool natural elements that you got to see. I mean, if you live in Austin, the Greenbelt this time of year, especially with the rain that we've had, is gorgeous. It's amazing. There's beautiful scenery to be had that you can brag about on social media if your pace isn't the thing you're bragging about. So there you go. Once a week, jump on the trail. All right the last two things and then we'll quickly recap the first is and this kind of both these will get back to a little bit that early conversation we had and in some ways this one next one I mentioned maybe should come at the beginning of this list but I want to I want to emphasize for being healthy in 2019 that you figure out your process and this isn't something that's going to happen necessarily over a day, certainly not a week. But I take months within 2019 to figure this out, but I want you to have this concept in mind to figure out your process. What does it look like related to whatever goals you might have? What does your process look like? What are the benchmarks of your process, both in terms of the runs you do per week, the routine associated with those runs, the people that you might be enjoying those runs with that will hold you accountable to doing them, the one or two things you need to be doing in addition to running maybe three that will help support the running process that you've that you've started the journey that you're on whether that be foam rolling strength stretching whatever it may be find the routine that works to supplement and support the running that you're doing the strength that we talked about the sleep process elements which don't you don't have to be super rigid but For me, I know when I'm in peak training, I know the sleep I need to get. And it's not perfect, and certainly, uh, you know, you would look at it and probably cringe, (laughs) James. But I know if if I'm in peak training mode, that my sleep needs to look like X, Y, Z. You know, not with super rigidity, but just generally. Because if I get off of that routine, then that will put me in a hole that won't allow me to recover from the runs I'm doing, which will then spiral into not being able to sleep or getting injured or or getting into an overtraining situation like Brogan Austin, my last guest, talked about. So figure out your process. What are the hallmarks of it? Because if you can then repeat that process over and over again, week after week, it will get you to your goals to the point where you can almost let go of the goals, focus just on the process and see them come to you then as a result. This is something that Kate talked about when she was on several episodes ago talking about her build to getting her Olympic trials qualifier at CIM. Part of her ability to get to that point was to let go of the times and just dig into what does her process look like to stay happy and healthy as a runner. She found that formula and it doesn't need it doesn't necessarily mean doing more. Sometimes it means doing less. And knowing that that's what you need to get what you want. But if you can figure out your process that will allow you to be sustained, to have sustainability in this sport, that then you can repeat week after week, month after month, year after year, and ultimately get those goals. Again, doesn't mean you have to be perfect, doesn't mean you have to be a robot or that you can't have fun or go have drinks on Friday night with friends. It just means that you know the pieces you need to put together to get to where you want to go. And then ideally, you can repeat that week to week, as closely as possible. And the more you can do that, the better you'll get. And what I find is that when I'm in that routine, I'm happy. I get to this equilibrium where I'm training just enough, sleeping just enough. I'm doing all the right things. I'm tired, but I'm loving it. Loving all the pieces. I'm happy. I'm healthy. And there's, there's gratitude. There's magic. There's happiness in being embedded in that routine. So What have you to say about that, James?
1: Just a couple, like, popcorn thoughts. Um, Again, I love it. Um, One, I want to say, like, it it takes the thought out of it. Um, Use your coach um, because they can give you advice on, like, um, what an ideal setup might be. Um, But you you touched on, like, who you're going to run with at times. And something, like, sparked inside of me of, like, yeah, you know, Um, I'll listen to these, you know, Navy SEALs sometimes or read their books like David Goggins and uh, Jocko Willink. Uh, They were put on the map by Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan. Um, And they've got all this great advice about being like your best possible self. Um, And I love reading that stuff. And I can quote and talk and preach all of it. But deep down, I know I'm not. David Goggins and I'm not Jocko Willink. So I can soldier on on Monday and Tuesday mornings. I almost never miss those runs. I'm always going to make my long run. So in a way I've already got three out of my seven days locked down. Um, but finding that process, knowing like I've got buddies I can meet on Wednesday and Friday, it's kind of a social thing. And I know those miles are going to, I'm going to get those miles on Mondays and Fridays. So I don't feel the pressure of being this hardcore soldier who drags himself out of bed. It's just like, I don't really want to miss out on conversation with Todd and Trey on Wednesday and Friday mornings. And so because those are set for me, that those feel like two free days. I've got to, you know, be an adult and drag myself out of bed on Monday, Tuesday. Um, and then Saturday I get to do it with Rogue with friends. And so all of a sudden you, you, you might find like five days are locked in and it doesn't even feel like discipline. Two of the days feel like discipline. Um, so again, to just recap there, one, you know, there can be those fun pieces that like just pull you along. Things to look forward to where you're not having to always like, you know, have this hardcore attitude, but to like, I wanted to reemphasize like leaning on your coach to help you figure that stuff out because the coach, the coaches here, especially, um, they're going to know methodology really well. And so they can give you advice on, you know, like the frequency, the volume, the intensity, like, do, do you need to run five days, six days, four days? Um, they can talk through those things, give you parameters. And then, you know, those days that are hard for you, find those friends and hop in with them. Yes.
0: The coach, it should be a collaboration. That's a good good addition to that. I will also say that sometimes you have to be open to this changing and then finding a new equilibrium. I think equilibrium for me, even though I'm, maybe that's a little bit of a geeky term, is, is probably what I'm seeking here in terms of the outcome. So you want to find the support routines, the process that gets you to this equilibrium happy place with both your mind and your body. For me, my process changed. In August, building to California International Marathon because my schedule changed. I was coaching more mornings a week instead of running. And so I had to change from running normally at 5:30 with athletes I normally run with to running at 8. At the time, I didn't know if I had anybody to run with at 8 a.m. after I'd coached that morning. And so there was a period of three or four weeks where I was figuring out a new process for me that existed for several months. And As a part of that, I had to play with multiple parameters, not just my sleep, but also the timing of my runs, found some new running buddies to jump in with at 8 a.m. who could join me, figured out that I needed some space after that then to kind of recover and get into my own sort of introverted zone, so to speak, to rebuild energy before I jumped back into work. And so I found a new equilibrium, a new process. And so sometimes for people that can change And that's okay, but then just actively put those pieces back together knowing that you're looking for that happy place again where you're both happy mentally as well as physically. And again, I'll emphasize that sometimes that means subtracting things, not necessarily doing more. So you especially get to that happy place here in your head. Okay, so that was seven. Number eight, I want you to be healthy in 2019, to fall in love with running again in a new way. You know, I think being healthy as a human oftentimes is related to how you feel about your world. You know, are you happy about the place you're in? Are you happy about the things you do, the friends you keep, the work that you do day in and day out? And I think sometimes we forget in the midst of goal-seeking to make sure that we're having fun with it, that we love the journey as much as we love and seek those outcomes. And I think sometimes it's easy to get short-sighted and forget that. It kind of goes back to the point you made early on about the lifestyle piece. I think this is maybe a a notch above, it's a little bit more of an overarching point, but just make sure that you check yourself and you really love what you're doing with the running. You love the process you created, you love the journey that you're on. And for me, I started in running because I needed an outlet to stay fit and an outlet to be competitive. As a soccer player who wanted some new way to compete, I found running and that was what got me into running and kept me into running initially. Ultimately, my reasons for running evolved. I still have that competitive side, but I also do it now because I love the people that I run with. I love the connections that I make because of the sport. I also love being just outside and feeling good about moving through space and nature. And so regardless of what I'm doing, I have an easy way to connect to more than just results with the sport. But it's taken me time to develop that. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that. You know, I'm doing a season this year in 2019 training for a 50 miler. Not with any outcome goal in mind except to finish what I started and finish what I say I'm going to do, but I'm going to spend a block of time on the trails from April until August training for this 50 miler, and then I'll get back to the roads after that. But I'm doing it partially because I just want to sort of fall in love with running in a different way again, in a way that for me hasn't been a way I've typically participated in the sport. I've done trails, trail racing, but I've never really invested in it for a chunk of time and done that exclusively to train for a big goal. So I'm doing that partially because I needed a break from having the sole focus on the roads and being in love with the sport that way so I can f- sort of find a, a new way to fall in love with it just to give me that diversity of experience while still ultimately building to whatever bigger goals I have. And so for those out there that might not love what you're doing, that find that that's a grind... Find some way just to fall in love with it again, whether it be running with new people, finding a new team, a new coach, doing the sport in a different way, whether it be that be trails or maybe jumping into a triathlon if you want to participate in the sport that way, or maybe letting go and not racing for a bit and just going out and having fun without a schedule. Find a way to fall in love with it because if you do, you'll be healthy as a human and as a runner because you're not gonna be stressed and pressing and feeling this burden from it. So there you go. That's my number eight.
1: I like that one. It makes me just want to share. Like it just made me (laughs) go into my own head and be like, yeah, what do I, I love you taught, you talked about like the people you run with. So community is a huge one. I know, you know, running used to be a solo sport and there, there still are a lot of runners who love to just go out on their own. um, So that maybe they don't need that advice if they love it already. Great for those that kind of think, it's a struggle at times, then yeah, find that community because it's huge. Um, people bond over doing something. I, you know, some of my best friends in college were people I'd played rugby with. Um, and at first I didn't even know if I'd like half the guys that I met at the first practice, but you know, when you get beat up on the field a few times together, you you just build a bond. So, um, overcoming long runs, et cetera, is a way to bond, um, and increase that love, uh, for the sport. I think, um, what comes to mind too, is ability does matter to me. Um, I know I'm not, I am like a very average guy and that's not me being self deprecating. I've always just thought on that. I'm, I'm plain old vanilla, you know? Um, so I'm no, I know I'm never going to set records in the sport of running, but for me, ability is something that, um, I'm very proud of like it, it just resonates inside my own soul that I am capable of, of running 26.2 miles. And because I did the work this past season, I can, I can do it almost on, um, any given weekend, as long as I'm not running it too fast. Right. You know, it's pace and all that comes into play, but there there's a love and a pride about just having the ability to, um, you know, go out and crush 10 miles with friends or, um, you know, finish marathons. It, it's something that feeds me. So I, I think part of this requires a little bit of thoughtfulness and. Um, you know, honesty, uh, where, where the listeners or the athletes that are trying to think on this last recommendation or last bullet point that you have for them is, um, they just need to sit down with a cup of coffee and maybe think about their why for this season too, or what they love about running for this season. Um, because it can change, you know, the second, the second half of the year. Um, plus be honest with yourself.
0: If you don't love it, you know, it's okay to be in a space where you're just like, this is a grind. Like this sucks. I don't like going out doing it yes i want the goals i have for myself but i'm not having fun i'm not wanting to show up i'm 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 burdened when i have to get up and do the work because if you're always fighting that you're not ultimately going to be your best self so sometimes you have to just be honest about that and be like look i'm not having fun this is a burden i don't know why and then give yourself the space to process that, try to figure out why, and then give yourself some new experiences so that you can fall in love with it again. Because, but it, it starts with that first sort of honest introspection, and I think sometimes we're afraid to admit it because we, we think it might somehow indicate that we're not serious enough or we're not committed enough, and maybe, maybe there's some guilt that comes with it, like, man, I should be loving this, but I'm not, you know, what's wrong with me kind of a thing. Instead, instead of there's nothing wrong with you. We all get into those spaces. So just be open with it about it, honest about it. Pull in your coach if you have one, pull in a running buddy and say, "Hey, I'm not having fun. Why? Can you help me figure this out?" Because then maybe they see it, maybe they feel it, and they can point you in a direction of, "I think this could be the reason why. Let's try this."
1: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I went through that patch this past summer, and I think one of the ways I got through it actually was first by admitting like I like I was frustrated. I was trying to come over When I say come over it versus come under it, I was trying to come over it and, you know, read Jocko Willink or David Goggins and just be like, you get out and you do it and you become calloused. You callous your mind and you become tough. Um, And coming over, it wasn't working. It just, I was getting darker and darker internally in my own mind and it just wasn't working. But I actually came under it. How I came came out of that patch was coming under it. And what I mean by that is I, I started to admit I didn't, love it at that time but I also was like asking honest questions like but can you feel that sense of pride and happiness like at 10 30 a.m when you're sitting at your desk if you didn't do your run this morning like you don't have to do your run James this is my inner dialogue talking to myself <laughs> James you don't have to do your run you don't have to man up you don't have to go get that run in uh do whatever you want like literally just what do you want to do and it's almost like that thought started coming back to me well I I do want to run. It's just hard right now. And so I was able to give myself a little more grace, uh, except that it was hard, um, that I would have to go slow or even take walk breaks at times. Um, and I got through that patch by coming under it and literally just realizing, I don't know, it does something for me and I can't really be that happy without it. So I want to do it. I just got to drop some of that type A thinking, uh, at times there's other times where it serves you well. So this is not universal. It's just back to your point of like, be honest with yourself, be introspective. and um
0: Well, yeah, and observing you, watching you go through that from the outside, it seemed like you're beating yourself up, but then you got to this place of acceptance and grace where then you also gave yourself the space to reconstruct your process, your routine, in a way that you would enjoy, right? And then you gradually started putting the pieces back together to ultimately then running a couple marathons this year, but you had to deconstruct it to reconstruct it. So it was interesting watching that as it now reflects like you admitted it and then you just started adding little pieces like, well, I can do that and enjoy it. I can do that one little thing in this running world and enjoy it. And then you use that as a seed that ultimately got you to a bigger routine and you kind of reconstructed it again and sort of found your love again, kind of gradually piece by piece. And so sometimes it takes that. Sometimes it takes walking away completely in a sense, and then just deciding, okay, what are the things I can enjoy, I can't embrace. I'm gonna do only those things until I'm motivated to do more. And then you reconstruct it back to that more fully committed, you know, all in kind of mindset. You're becoming the Reverend. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) All right, so there you go. those Those are eight things. As we wrap this, James, did I miss anything? Would you add to my list?
1: Um, no, you know, I love your list. One thing that, and we touched on it in some ways, but like one thing that came to mind when we were talking about health, and it may be because I wrote a long email about this today, but um, the two-two rule, as I call it, too much too soon. We talked about slowing down, but I think um, athletes remembering um that they can't increase you know, multiple factors or variables at once, and coming into twenty nineteen, there's going to be a a desire to do that. Um. I had someone send me an email, ask me to write a program and said, I'd like to run a 30 K mind you, I'm coming off the couch, but I'd like to run a 30 K in April. Uh, Is that too big of a goal? And I'm kind of tired of my same 10 and a half minute pace. Um, You know, I want to focus on speed. And as a coach, I'm thinking you want to focus on speed and volume at the same time. (laughs) Right. Right. And you're coming off the couch. It's like, no, like change <laughs> one variable at a time. Like, you know, for focus on your frequency first. If if like you're coming off the couch, just how many days can I run a week? Um, then go after that volume game of like mileage, growing up your long run, and then when it's right, add the intensity or the speed. I'm quoting Jack Daniels here, but he had a big impact on my coaching um, methodology. Um, but don't the two two rule is. Doing too much too soon, uh, you break. That's the number one way to break is change two or three of those variables at once. That's the perfect formula for getting injured or breaking.
0: So don't do it. That's a good addition. I had a similar conversation today with a new runner in my group, and we had to dial back a few, <laughs> few variables because she wanted to go after too many things as well. But I've never I've never heard it called the 2-2 rule. I like that.
1: I make stuff up all the I time. I love that.
0: The <laughs> too, too much too soon rule. Don't do it. And you're right. This is a time of year where people want to just do all the things. They're like, well, if I just do X, Y, Z, alpha, betas, you know, everything, then I'll get to my goals. And really, it's about one thing at a time. Add one thing. Make that work for you. Fit that into your routine. Then if you still need more, add the next thing. So not too much too soon. I like it. All right. There you go. So those are the eight things. Just to quickly end now nine, James. Just to quickly recap one get your naps set a napping resolution i'm, I'm actually gonna probably do this one why not we, we all need more sleep it's not as sexy as some of the others but i like it two run more commit to running more easy miles which relates to number three slow the fuck down when doing those more easy miles so you can stay healthy and develop your aerobic system in the right way number four read running rewired and do that assessment if you haven't already. Do it again if you have already. Number five, find a PT Cairo that you can trust, that you can be your partner and massage therapist. I added that you can trust and and be your partner in keeping you healthy. Number six, do, do a little bit more trails once a week, once every other week. Jump on an easy run on the trails. Seven, figure out your process, your routine, and then finally find a way to fall in love with running again. If you already love running, find a new way to love it. In 2019, I think if you do those things, plus not do too much too soon, as you added, James, you'll be happy, you'll be healthy, and you'll be goal-smashing in 2019, which is, of course, what we want as coaches. Thanks for joining me, James.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I love Chad. I this love was Jen. awesome.
0: We're going to have to do this again. We're going to get James on a few more of these episodes because this is fun, and we have a good rapport. So, you'll expect more <laughs> from James Dodds in 2019 on the Running Rogue podcast. Thanks everybody for listening. This has been episode 107 of the Running Rogue Podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And if you haven't already but want to join us, check out our new podcast training group, Season 3. You have until January 18th to sign up. You can get more info on our website, roguerunning.com. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon.